0: Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. If you have your Bibles or your app, just get them ready. I will give you an address in a moment, but I don't want to have you go there. We are limited on time because worship was phenomenal, and we definitely didn't want to interrupt that flow. And on that note, we actually have worship night is next Sunday, so don't forget our 6.30 gathering is worship night. We have a normal 4 o'clock, and look at that. Look at that queue. Way to go. Um, so next week, four o'clock is normal. And then the 630, we just open the whole room and we go for it. So that's next week. All right. You know, humans, we are, we are a unique species. I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's no other species in all of existence that wonders why it exists. There's no other creature Species that wakes up searching for its purpose. No other species, before they die, wonder if they've done everything in their life and if they've found purpose. No other species, except the human species. A dog doesn't wake up and walk around thinking, What is my purpose in life? A bear is not roaming through the woods thinking, why am I even on this earth? A fire ant doesn't think, when a human walks by, I'm going to bite them because that's why I'm alive. (laughs) A yellow jacket is not thinking, I'm alive to sting humans. You see, that's what makes us so unique is that we actually are designed and hardwired to know why we're alive and why we exist. And I realize this is, for some of you, this is the bane of your existence. You're like, I wish I didn't have this longing because I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I feel like I'm falling short. I feel like I haven't reached my potential. One of my greatest struggles in life is not feeling like I've reached my potential. It's, it's what drives me, but it also what isn't okay. But what is that? It's this longing inside of us to know why we're alive. Why would God give us the ability to wonder why we're alive? Why, why wouldn't just make it a, a level playing field? Everything he creates, they don't need to know why they're alive. Why would God run the risk of putting the desire to know why you exist and your purpose? Run the risk of putting that in you and the risk that you would turn on him and blame him for all of your problems. Why would God do that? I mean, I wouldn't. Like, I don't want billions of people mad at me. (laughs) So obviously God's okay with humanity being against him on some level because he chose to love, and out of love he created humanity. So this longing deep inside of us is something you can't separate, no matter how much you squash it, no matter how much therapy you get, or how much you numb it. It will always exist in you, and it's longing to know why your life, know your purpose and why you exist. You see, the longing for purpose that resides in us is because we have a purpose. The longing to understand our existence is in us is because there is actually a reason why we exist. Humans become destructive when they get lost. In their search for purpose and meaning, humans become stagnant when they stop searching for their purpose and meaning. Humans create life, beauty, and add value when they're moving towards their purpose and their existence. And today, I want you to think about which one are you? Have you stopped searching for existence and you feel stagnant? Or maybe you've gotten lost in your search. For your purpose in your existence, and you become destructive, or maybe you're someone that's continually searching for your existence and purpose, and you're adding value, beauty, and life everywhere you go. Why don't you turn with me to Zechariah chapter one? We're going to use this as our main scripture today, it's our only scripture we're going to use. But Zechariah chapter one is a fascinating story, it's actually a vision. We're going to start in verse 18, we're going to read it together. And we're going to take a little bit of a microscope look at this story on a more granular level. I want to take a look at this and unpack a few things. This passage of Scripture has been in my life for about 25 years. 25 years ago, I was introduced to this passage, and I haven't left it since. In fact, it's what drives me in my existence and purpose, is this very passage, amongst others. But today, I'm excited to actually read this with you and unpack it. So Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me and said, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and to throw down these horns of the nation who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people." This is actually a vision. Zechariah had this vision, and he sees this battlefield of some sort. And he sees four horns to come scatter Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, so nations and a city. And the four horns in this passage actually represent a stronghold. It's actually, in this context, it's an enemy of God. So these strongholds, these horns are strongholds, and they're enemies of God. So he sees this battlefield, and he sees these four horns, these strongholds, these enemies of God coming against God's nation and God's people. And the result of that, the result of those horns coming at these nations can be seen later in the passage we read. Is they were scattered and they were oppressed. And in other words, their heads were down. So a nation was not looking to its future, but a nation was stuck in its present. They were oppressed. The hope was gone. Discouragement had settled in. Courage was not to be found. So as he's observing this, he asked the angel, he said, who are these? And there's four horns. And then he looked over and he sees four craftsmen. It's fascinating. And he sees four craftsmen. He asked the angel, said, what are those? And the angel responded and said, those are my four craftsmen that I'm sending to terrify the stronghold and cast them out. Now, I didn't go to school to study the art of war. Uh, I didn't go to school to study military science. But I would promise you, and I am pretty confident, that you're not going to find in any military curriculum, any military textbook, that you'll send out your artist in a battle. I I don't think that's in there. I don't think in, in America's military institutions, what we do, we send out our craftsmen, our artisans out on the battlefield. No, there's a whole different process to military science than that. But here we have one of the most peculiar passages, in my opinion, in the Bible, where God violates what all military science says to do. So it's so God to violate man's construct of how battle should be won. And I think we should take some notes on this today. I think we should take a mental notes, and I think we need to check ourselves as well. Why would God put four craftsmen at the front of a battlefield to destroy strongholds that are coming against God's people? Perhaps there's another reason why we're alive. Perhaps we can find our meaning and our existence within this passage. And I want to challenge you. We were actually created to do battle. Some of us actually don't know who we are because we've never been in a battle, I don't, And I'm not saying God causes battles, but I'm saying there are battles. And some of us actually don't know how deep we really are because we've never been in conflict. Some people brag, I have no conflict in my life. No, you just avoid all conflict. My life is great, yes, yeah, because you avoid anything hard. You avoid giving your life to something that costs you something. So you can walk around and just tell everyone that my life is great. I've set it up. I've organized it. I've gone to so many events and I've organized my life to such a point that you've actually missed out on your purpose and your existence. And you thought your purpose and existence was to not have any problems. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what you're designed for. You're not designed to separate into a space where there's no conflict or there's no problem or there's no battles so some of your purpose and your existence is connected to what you do in battle but i want to just kind of dance around this passage for a moment why would god put craftsmen in the middle of a battle when it makes more sense to put warriors there people that are good at the sword people that are good at the craftsmen at the craft of fighting but God decided to take craftsmen and place them in the battlefield. So we're left to wonder, what do they do? What do you craftsmen do in battle? Uh, what did the craftsmen, what are the artisan? what do the creative person actually do in times of battle and war? Do they take their paintbrush and start wielding it? Do they just bring out an instrument and start playing? I mean, what do they do? I don't know what they do, but one thing I can tell you, they do what they're good at. Anytime you come across artisan or craftsman in scripture, the one thing you will notice is they are good at something. And somehow, when we enter war, one of the ways we can win the battle is create. If you want to lift the head of a nation create. If you want to lift the heads of your family, you want to lift your own head, then create. Put your hand to something and create it. You were actually designed for battle and it's there you begin to find out why your life. One of the biggest ingredients to creating is actually having courage. I interact with a lot of people, as you know, but I want to specifically talk to a group of people that have ideas. And the word create and creative is a tricky word because we've reduced it down to a sub-people group, not recognizing that we are created by the creator to create. And if you've been here for any length of time, when we use the word creative, we're not talking about a subset group of people. We're talking about every human being. And so one of the challenges, I, I had they interact with people that have great ideas, but they never act on it. And there's all kinds of reasons I don't have enough money. No, it's just you don't have enough courage. If you want to know how to create, it's have to have courage. Well, I don't know if people will like it. That's called fear. That's not called courage. I don't have the skill set. Then get the courage to develop a skill set. We use all these extra reasons, these reasons outside of us to determine what we're supposed to do with our ideas. And I know every person in this room has ideas that changes something. So it's not an issue of lack of ideas. It's called the lack of courage to act and implement and engage those ideas. I love praying prayer, God, change my city. God, use me to change whatever. But your prayer has to stop at some point. And that's the challenge. We become almost, I might get in trouble for saying this, and I'm okay. You become too reliant on the Spirit of God that you do nothing. If God really wants us, he will just do it. Yes and No. Yes, he wants it to happen, but no, because you've done nothing. You don't act with courage. You don't take a step out. Well, what if it doesn't work? You'll find out. So sometimes the ingredient that we're missing in our ability to engage in a battle is simply courage. So if you're in this room today and you got ideas, I guarantee you, once you get courage, you'll act. Courage is not the absence of fear. So don't walk around thinking, man, I, just, I have too much fear. You will probably always have fear because that means you're human. The question is, is your courage louder than your fear? Is your courage more compelling than your fear? Is courage a well that you're going to drink from more than the well that fear is from? When in war, when you're in a battle, Create. There's another element to the story I want to pick out is if the craftsmen didn't do what they're supposed to do, they would die. What's that called? Survival. Have you ever felt like you're just surviving in life? Like some weeks you are like, man, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to get past this moment. I'm just trying to, like, make it. So there is a, a dimension of the human experience that's really just about surviving. And guess what? That means you're in a battle. If you are feeling a sense of just surviving today, guess what? You're in a battle right now. You're like, my, my mind is so distracted about the what ifs. My mind is so consumed with these situations are not working out. And if this continues and we painted this very destructive result of scenarios that we're in, and when your mind is, guess what? That's called battle, that's called surviving. And I love how in this story, two nations in a city are in survival mode. And what was the solution? Create. Are you guys with me this afternoon? What was the result of being in survival mode? Go create. And somehow God designed that when these craftsmen did what they were good at, it destroyed and terrified the stronghold coming at them. There's actually a passage that's in Ephesians 3.10. I'm just going to read it to you from my memory. It said, The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to all principalities, powers, and the heavenly places. It's a very abstract passage. I believe that passage is a New Testament expression of this story. That somehow God said, I'm going to put my manifold wisdom in my people, which means what? My multifaceted intelligence. In my people. And when they live out from that space, all the unseen realm, the transcendent dimension begin to recognize the power in a human being that creates from the manifold wisdom that God's placed within them. And I want to tell you one of the biggest strategies to seeing a city, to seeing a region transformed or impacted by the beauty of Jesus is creating. So when you're in survival, I want to challenge you. It's time to create. Let your survival spark something to create the future. i ask you a, a story I want to read to you. I met some friends this past week, and they deeply inspired me. I, met him literally five days ago, and I said, you're my new friends. They said, good, we we think you're my new friend too. I love when those relationships happen. And they shared this story with me. And as the formal Czechoslovakian president, Havel, was once asked in an interview with CNN how he managed to lead his country through the fall of communism so well. His response was, communism had its narrative, we had ours. Through playwrights and songwriters, we created a parallel society. You keep the legislators, give me the artists, and I will have the heart of a nation. We have reduced creating down to a painting and a song, which is beautiful and vital, and I will never diminish that but the power of you creating out of who you are has the ability to take a heart of a nation and redirect it. So stop minimizing the ability to create. You were designed to create in battle. You are designed to face conflict and opposition and simply create out of that space. There's an episode of uh, Chef's Table. I don't know if you've ever watched that. It's probably one of my favorite TV series. There's six seasons. I'm about to watch them all over again because I'm starting to forget. That's what happens. I start to forget. I rewatch them again. There's one season called Chef's Table France, and it's the last episode. So some of you will probably go watch this tonight. It's my favorite episode in all six seasons. And Netflix, what they did, they they basically got some of the best cinema, cinematographers, storytellers, and they went and found some of the best chefs in the world. And this particular season was basically chefs in France. I'm not going to pronounce this chef's name because it's nearly impossible in my ability, so I'm just going to skip that. He was the, one of the top French chefs. The interesting story part of his story was that he actually was third generation chef. So his uncle, I'm sorry, his grandfather and his dad, and the uncle got involved at one point, had built this three-star Michelin restaurant. If you're unfamiliar with Michelin star rating, it's basically the best restaurants in the world get a rating from Michelin, and it's very hard. And if you are fascinated by that, just go Google it. It's, in, it's a fascinating process. It's, it's, it drives people mad to get a star. But this restaurant had three stars. And one of the dishes that put this particular restaurant on the map was called the Salmon Sorel. It was a specific French cuisine, and it was beautiful, and it put them on the map, and they got three stars, and they were, this, they were the top, one of the top restaurants in all the world. And so you had this grandfather who passed it down to his son, and then you get to the third generation, the man that they feature in this particular episode. And he takes over this restaurant from this amazing legacy, amazing heritage of some of the best chefs in the world. It had a three-star rating. So he takes over this restaurant, and he makes this bold move. He takes that one dish, the Salmon Sorel, off the menu. The one dish that did, that made it incredibly successful in every regard. It was internationally known because of that one dish. And he said, I'm taking it off. As you can imagine, all the regulars were very upset. People stopped coming. And I can't remember this part of the story, but I think he lost some Michelin stars. And you hear him talking about his decision-making process and removing that one dish from the menu. He said, I couldn't create the future. I couldn't. There's too much tradition. There's too much right there that I couldn't actually create because the expectation was that. So he made a bold move and said, we're not going to make that dish anymore. And he said, the only way for me to find out why I'm alive, the only way for me to find out what actually lived inside of me is to remove all the obstacles. So he did He removed it. The restaurant kind of sunk for a bit. But over the next decade or so, he began to redefine all French cuisine. He would look at a painting, and he'd be inspired to create a dish. And all of a sudden, people started coming back. People started traveling all over the world to come back to this restaurant. It had regained its notoriety. It had regained its fame. It had regained regained its status. And I believe it was a decade and a half later, somewhere in that time frame, he decided to bring the salmon sorrel back on the menu. But he put his own unique twist on it. Creating in war, in battle, is essential. When you're trying to survive, creating is essential. But there is a choice you have to make. If you want to create the future, you have to remove obstacles. You have to remove any expectations someone's put on you. You have to remove things in your life that are actually hindering you and keeping you in the past. And if you want to move into the future, you have to move away from those things. Give me a couple more minutes and we're going to wrap this up. I believe what we're doing here at Studio resonates with that story. This is not to be pompous, this is not to be pious. This is just to be honest about what I feel like is taking place in this space. Some of you come in here and you're like, this feels familiar. Some of you are like, this is so unfamiliar. What's going on in this room? It's crazy. I don't know what to do and whatever. And I love that. I love the beauty of that. But I actually believe there's things that we took off the menu for a while. And believe me, a lot of people wanted the salmon Sorrel back on the menu. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. Why aren't we doing that? Why are the salmon not on the menu anymore? And we took a risk. You have no idea. And I, I, don't, I don't expect you to understand. But the weight of making a decision to remove something, for, at least for a season, is it, it requires some courage. Yeah. And, and I've lost sleep over it. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've... I've I've not slept well certain nights of the last few years of my life because I'm like, did I just make a mistake? Did I, did I take a left turn when it was supposed to be a right turn? And I'm sure that's real. I'm like, yeah, I should have made different turns. I'll, I'll definitely admit that. But the reality of recognizing there's so many things on the menu, they're beautiful. They taste amazing and it works. But in order to move into the future, We have to remove some of those things at least for a season to find out what's out there that hasn't been created yet. There are things that have come out of the kitchen thus far, and it's like, oh, that tastes good. And other things like that tasted horrible, way too much salt, or not enough salt, or really dry. And then other things like, I don't know how you could make this any better. And then there are things that are still being cooked in the kitchen that haven't been brought out yet, but they're getting cooked on. And you know who's doing all that? Us. Some of you are like, how come that dish is not on the menu? It's because we don't want it on the menu right now. We're actually creating space to move into the future. And one of my favorite descriptions of studio right now is this. I don't know how to describe it. But it's just something. Something like, that's it. That's our description. It's not nebulous to me. It's not ambiguous. It's real. Have you ever gone into a space and like I don't know how to describe it, but it's awesome? Someday we're gonna go. Oh, that's what that was. That was the salmon sorrel. I didn't know that, but now we don't know what it is. We're just so I want to invite you into the journey and the process of creating. The challenge with creating is you don't know what it is until you start. I know for me, when I put my hands to designing and creating whatever it is, I often have no clue what I'm doing until I get started. Because I trust that the ingredients are deep inside me somewhere, and eventually, with process and discipline, it will come out. Graphic design is one of my little spaces of playing. Every time I sit at my laptop and I start creating, I don't have it in my head yet. I'm like, okay, maybe it's that piece. No, it's that. And all of a sudden, over hours or days, oh, there it is. It was in there somewhere. I just didn't know how to define it yet. So I want to invite you into a reality of creating it's actually your design, part of your existence and purpose is connected to creating in the face of battle, in the face of war, in the face of opposition. And we live in a climate today where there's so much opposition, there's so much battle in the, in the climate, in the culture, in everywhere, and what the tendency is to pull away and to be quiet and not let anything ruin my life. No, you need courage to go create. We need courage like the Czechoslovakian president that said, you keep the legislators, give me the artists, and we'll change a nation. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.